If you have your Bible, please turn with me uh, to, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel, we're going to be working from 2 Samuel chapter 9 this morning. Uh, I will also read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we are in our study, right in the middle of our summer study, which is a study on the fruit of the Spirit. Those nine qualities or fruit in Galatians chapter 5, uh, that God works into the lives of those who believe in Him. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, brings the gospel into your heart and unites you to Jesus, it brings about transformation from the inside out. What does that look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. This morning we are going to be looking at the fifth fruit, which is kindness. And to understand kindness, I believe we need to see someone doing it. To really get kindness, we need a picture. We need a story. And in my opinion, uh, I don't think there's any better picture or more beautiful picture of kindness than David and Mephibosheth in Second Samuel chapter 2. It's a beautiful story of kindness. We actually looked at this passage when we did our study through the life of David, but it's such a good passage for kindness. We're going to look at it again this morning, and we're going to look at it uh, throughout uh, in a slightly uh, different angle, or through a slightly different angle or lens this morning. So follow along with me as I read first the fruit of the Spirit, and then I'll read Second Samuel chapter 9. This is God's Word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And then 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. This is God's word. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that, here it is again, I may show kindness, the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, the son of Amniel, at Lodeber. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amniel, at Lodeber. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And said David, and, and David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba Saul's servant and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servant shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. 
But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. And now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table. That's like the third time we've heard that. That's important. Like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come and bless us this morning through this passage. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. Would you take this passage this morning and show us the kindness of God through Jesus Christ. Melt our hearts with your kindness so that we would be different people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A kindness is one of those, like many fruits of the Spirit, but I said this uh, when we did our uh, message on joy, but it's one of those virtues that the world values. Everyone would say in this room that you long or desire uh, to develop or to be more kind. We want to be known as kind people. Uh, many years ago, decades ago, there was this movement called Practicing random acts of kindness. I remember growing up as a teenager in Kentucky in my hometown and our youth group, we used to play this game called Rack. Random acts of kindness. We would go out into our town and do random acts of kindness for people. We would pump gas, we would clean out gutters, we would rake yards. Uh, and so uh, everyone wants to be kind. Go type in Google and you will find the Random Act of Kindness Foundation. You'll find ideas for uh, how to exercise kindness. You'll find Twitter handles called Random Acts of Kindness and events and so on. And the point is, we all want to be known as kind people. And we want others to show us kindness, don't we? But you see, the question then becomes is how do we do that? How do we... Uh, grow in kindness? How do we become more kind? That's the question that we want to look at this morning. So the theme, obviously, is kindness, and we're going to look at uh, under three headings. What is it, okay, what is kindness? Secondly, where do we get it? And thirdly, how do we cultivate it? So what, where, and how? Let's look at the first point. What is kindness? Martin talked about this in the introduction to our study several weeks ago, but this is really important, particularly this week and next week. Uh, You're going to start to see that a lot of these fruit of the Spirit, they run together. They overlap. They are interlocking and overlapping. They do not come out of us individually. The fruit of the Spirit come out of us and grow together, and that is especially true with kindness. You'll see lots of overlap with, between kindness and love and goodness. 
In fact, kindness and goodness overlap so much that translators in the Bible will often use them interchangeably. But still the question is, what is kindness? We need a definition of kindness. So I'm going to come at it uh, a few different ways and uh, see if these don't uh, help you kind of work out what kindness is. Kindness can be defined as the ability to serve others practically in a way that makes you vulnerable. The ability to serve others practically in a way that makes you vulnerable. What does that mean? Well, kindness makes you vulnerable because it's costly. It costs you time. It costs you money, perhaps status. And here's the thing about kindness. You can give kindness and not get it in return. There's no guarantee guarantee that you will get kindness in return. Or another way we could say it is kindness is something that is done for someone else that no one else sees or knows about. Or how about this one? The essence of kindness is you didn't have to, but you did. You didn't have to, but you did. And so as you think about that, That's what we see in our passage, isn't it? Think about King David. He's the king of Israel. Let me just walk through this passage so that we see a picture of kindness here. King David is the king of Israel, and Israel is thriving under his leadership at this point. And he wants to display kindness. He wants to show kindness, and he wants to do it to... uh, and fulfill a promise that he made 15 years ago, and this is important, 15 years ago to his best friend, Jonathan. He had made a covenant with Jonathan to never cut off his love from Jonathan and his descendants. And so David says, I want to show kindness, verse 1, to anyone that is left in the house of Saul. Who can I show kindness to? He's looking to show kindness. Verse 3, That's where Mephibosheth comes in. Who is Mephibosheth? Well, that is Jonathan's son. And Jonathan is the son of King Saul. That's the enemy. Okay, that's important too, I think. And so we learn here that Mephibosheth is crippled in both feet. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we learn that when he was very young, a nurse in a hurry and in a rush picks up Mephibosheth and accidentally drops him And he lands on both feet, and his feet are crushed, and it left him crippled. That's 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. Changed his life. That moment forward, his life was never the same. He would never be the king. He would never lead an army. He would never run and play sports. He was completely helpless from that moment forward. And in the ancient Near East, if you were crippled... You were an outcast. You were a social outcast. Verse 7, the focal point of the passage. David says, okay, so can imagine someone carrying Mephibosheth into the presence of the king. Because he can't get there on his own. And David says this to him, do not fear. For I, he's the enemy, right? King Saul's grandson. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. In one sentence, this is not a random act of kindness. 
but we see the power of kindness here. Kindness is so powerful that it has the ability to change a person's life in an instant. Because in one sentence, that's what happens to Mephibosheth. David's act of kindness changes Mephibosheth's life forever. Protection. Look at the verse. Do not fear. I will show you kindness. You don't have to be afraid. I'm going to protect you. Secondly, provision. He makes Mephibosheth a wealthy man. And he says, all that belonged to your grandfather now belongs to you. And not only that, you don't have to work the land. I'm going to take care of that. And people are going to provide and deliver the produce or whatever it is right to your front door. Thirdly, position. Social outcast to eating at the king's table. Always. And not only eating at the king's table, look at verse 11. Like one of the king's sons. That is absolutely amazing. Kindness. He didn't have to, but he did. David didn't have to, but he did. Think about it. That was 15 years ago. David's the king. David could have very easily said, that's more trouble than it's worth. Nobody remembers that promise anyway. I'm the king. I can do whatever it is that I want. He didn't have to, but he did. See, kindness, in his kindness, he didn't serve himself. David served someone else who could do nothing for him. And he provided protection and he welcomed him in. He got involved. Because you see, kindness gets involved for the good of another at your own cost. Pause. If you're not challenged by this so far, then you're not listening. Because this is deeply challenging. Because here's the way we normally think. We normally think that, or or when we think about getting involved in showing kindness, normally we count the cost to ourselves before getting involved on behalf of someone else. And we ask questions, maybe not verbally, but inside our own hearts, we say, how is this going to affect me? How's this going to affect my future? More specifically, how's this negatively going to affect my future? Will I still be able to do this kind thing and still get what I want? You see, in the same way that we confuse happiness and joy, we often confuse niceness with kindness. And I think this is really, really important because we live in the South. And with all due respect, kindness is not Southern niceness. Because you can be nice and not be kind. Because like happiness with joy, niceness with kindness, niceness is something that you can fake. And here's what I mean. We can do all sorts of things, all sorts of nice things and kind things, but we can do them simply for self-preservation. We can do them as I like to say, and it could be manipulative niceness. A way of doing something kind or appearing, appearing kind, but really we just want to get what we want and keep ourselves at the center. It could look a hundred different ways, but let me give you a couple. It might look like 
you getting upset on the inside because someone gets recognized for service that you participated in, but you don't get the recognition. And that makes you furious. Or it could look like how you treat people. You treat people that can do something for you different that you differently than you treat everyone else. You treat people that have means or have connections differently than you treat everyone else around you. You see, kindness is different because it's not about you. It's about someone else. And just like all the other fruit of the Spirit, kindness is deeper because it's attached to who you are. And I don't know about you, but this series on the fruit of the Spirit has been pretty sobering because it doesn't take long to recognize as we go through these fruit of the Spirit, and particularly this one this morning, that we're not very good at kindness. And thankfully, the point of this story isn't go be kind like David because that would crush us. We're not David. We're not the hero of the story. We're actually someone else, and that leads us to the second point. Where do we get kindness? How do we get it? Uh, How do we produce this fruit, this deep kindness, this true kindness, and not manipulative niceness? Well, just like all the other fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not your fruit. And so this is something that comes from within you. And so the only way you get kindness, true kindness, is if you're connected to the source of kindness. God himself. Kindness is a person. Kindness is connected. Kindness is the person of Jesus Christ himself. More specifically, if you want kindness, you've got, it starts with recognizing how kind God has been with you. See, specifically, we've got to recognize that. And the question then becomes is, how do we do that? You know how you do that? Well, you've got to start by realizing that you're Mephibosheth. That you're helpless, spiritually speaking. That you've got to be carried to the table like Mephibosheth. And we don't ever want to be Mephibosheth, do we? We live in over-the-mountain Birmingham. This is hard for us to hear. We hate vulnerability. We hate weakness. We hate helplessness. And God is telling us through this story, I know you don't want to be Mephibosheth, but unless you realize that spiritually speaking, you have been more crippled by sin than you know, and you have no right whatsoever to be in the presence of the King. And I'm talking about the King. The presence of God Himself. Until we start to understand that, will never really be kind people because kindness begins when we realize the kindness of God for us. One commentator says it this way, David had every opportunity to recognize God's kindness to him as he looked at Mephibosheth. Because Mephibosheth was a mirror to him. And as he saw Mephibosheth, he couldn't help but be reminded of God's goodness To him, remember David was the throwaway son, the runt that was not supposed to be the king, but God in his grace and kindness made David the king. And so when Mephibosheth comes and is carried into his presence, David is able to say, I'm going to treat him the way God has treated me. God 
kindness flows into David's life and through David's life into the life of Mephibosheth. Do you long to be kind this morning? It starts by remembering that like Mephibosheth, you have to be carried to the table. And as you get there, you receive the extravagant love for God for you. You receive the love of God in the midst of your sin and your brokenness and whatever it is that you're going through, and you let the kindness of God flow into your life. Some of you this morning, you hear that you're a Christian, but you struggle with guilt and shame because of your past. And you say, there's no way God can love me and be kind to me after all that I have done. I want to believe that. I've struggled to believe that. But there's no way. And God puts his finger over our mouth this morning and says, Shh, I came for people who have been crippled by sin. Just come to the table. God comes and says to you this morning, if that's where you are, that's the whole reason I came. For broken, sinful people just come to the table. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And if you're here this morning and not a Christian, you honor us with your presence. But maybe you're here and you're investigating Christianity and you're thinking, I just want to check out Christianity. I need uh, to see if this is something that I can just add to my life to make my life a little bit better. And so you hear what I'm saying, and maybe it's offensive to you. Maybe it's offensive because you're thinking, it's a little much for you to call me Mephibosheth and not David. I'm David in this story. Well, friends, it's only a fair description of me and you if we understand that Christianity is way more than being nice. In other words, Christianity is about way more than just external behaviors. You see, Christianity is different because it's about the heart. And it digs deep into your heart and it's like an onion. And God comes and he peels layer after layer after layer. And he gets down into under the surface of your heart and life. And when he gets down under the surface, if you really want to be honest, you start to realize very quickly how unkind you really are. And how self-serving and envious and manipulative that you really are. But you see, that is such a beautiful place to be. I know it's a hard place to get. But if we can ever get there, that's where the sweetness of the gospel comes shining in. That's, if you can ever get there, that's where the kindness of God comes shining into your life. You see, it's interesting. You look here, the word kindness is the Hebrew word hesed, which is the word for God's loving kindness. It's his covenant love for his people. Or the Jesus Storybook Bible says it's God's never stopping, never ending, never giving, always and forever kind of love. You see, kindness, the kindness of God is seen most vividly in the person of Jesus Christ. So if we want to be kind... We've got to be connected to the source of kindness, which is Jesus himself. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, which Martin read in the offer of forgiveness. Let me read this. Is it so good? 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, He saved us according to His own mercy, which He poured out richly on us through Christ Jesus our Savior. Notice He doesn't say, when Jesus showed up, He saved us. He doesn't just say that. He says, the goodness and kindness of God is made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ who came into the world and lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved. And that is really good news. Because you know what that means? That means that we can go before God and we can say, it's all true. We don't have to hide. We don't have to cover up. We can go and admit that we're needy. We can go and admit that we're Mephibosheth. That's why we have the time of confession every single week at our church. And then we have what? The offer of forgiveness, the gospel. It's like, this is who I am, but thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Because you see, the gospel allows us to admit the ugliness that is beneath the surface of our hearts. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Do you want to be kind this morning? then you must grasp God's kindness to you when you didn't deserve it. That's where kindness comes from. That's what produces true deep kindness instead of southern manipulative niceness. Lastly, how do we cultivate it? Think about the word cultivate. I said that in our sermon on joy because I think we've, that's something we're, I'm going to try to continue. But think about the image of fruit. What does fruit have to do to be healthy and to grow rightly? It has to be cultivated. It needs proper light and water and pruning in order to grow properly. And so a good question we, could, we need to ask is how do you cultivate kindness in your life? And there's, again, a hundred things we could probably say, and I'm going to focus on one. In order to cultivate kindness in our lives, we must slow down and notice people. Because kindness begins with noticing someone else. Most acts of kindness are not on the calendar yet. The fruit of kindness comes when we least expect it often prompted by interruptions in our lives or things that we do not see coming. And isn't that exactly what we see in the life of Jesus? Not always, but most of the time Jesus is on his way to do something and someone butts in and demands his attention. Isn't that what we see when he is preaching to a room full of people in a house and these guys cut out a hole in the roof and they lower their friend down? And Jesus is in the middle of a sermon. And he looks at this guy and he looks him in the eye because he matters. He notices. And then he, in a kind act, heals this man. Or when Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter and he gets interrupted by the bleeding woman, but he notices the bleeding woman. What about Zacchaeus? Jesus is just walking along, and Zacchaeus is up in a tree, and Jesus sees him because he matters to Jesus. 
And he comes down and Jesus goes and eats a meal with Zacchaeus. Kindness is powerful because you know what happens? Zacchaeus' life is changed forever over the meal. You see, Jesus, every one of his acts of kindness begins with him noticing other people. And Jesus notices and sees the people that you and I don't see. And he looks them in the eye and he takes time with them and he gives them their attention and he sits down and he eats with them. And I know you're hearing this and you're thinking, okay, I know this. And yes, I agree, you know what kindness looks like. It's not rocket science. But it starts with the small things, like noticing other people, like David with Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth didn't matter to the world, but Mephibosheth mattered to David. See, kindness starts with things like eye contact and giving a hug when a hug is needed. Kindness looks like weeping with those who weep. And rejoicing with those who rejoice. And kindness looks like listening and asking good questions and remembering names and remembering details and then following up on those things. Kindness looks like crouching down in order to talk to a young child. And kindness also looks like, and this one hit me between the eyes recently as I was thinking about kindness. It looks like putting down your phone and giving your attention to your spouse or to your children. I was reminded of this recently. I'm on the phone way too much. I pull in the driveway, and I'm on the phone. I pull up, and Ann Wright, I have their permission to share this, by the way. They come out, Ann Wright comes up to my window, and and she's happy to see me because her daddy's home. And she starts knocking on the window, and I give her one of these. Just a second. I'm on the phone. Here comes Eva. And I hear this, and it just totally broke my heart because of my unkindness. Eva comes down, and she's happy to see me. Daddy's home. And I hear through the window, and right, look over to Eva and say, he's on the phone again. And deflated, they run back in the house, and I'm convicted. Why couldn't I just hang up the phone and say, can I call you back? Because I need to spend time with my children. Small acts of kindness. Making people feel like they matter. Increasingly flow out of you when you realize how kind God has been with you. And you find yourself... As you grow in the Holy Spirit and grow in the Christian life, you find yourself doing these things, not for your own sake, but for someone else's sake. And you find yourself doing those things regardless of whether or not someone notices. And so how do we cultivate kindness in our lives? We've got to create space. We've got to create margins in our lives. And it begins with... um, noticing other people and to do that we've got to create space to notice other people because if you're if we're honest most of us are too busy to notice other people and if we're too busy 
And we're moving way too fast to notice the person that is riding our, the bike in our front yard or climbing the tree in our front yard or knocking on the window of our car. Then we'll never be kind people. We'll never show kindness. And so here's my question. Are you too busy? Are you too busy? Where do you need to create margin in your life so that you can slow down enough to notice other people and make them feel like they matter? Where is God this morning saying, slow down so that my kindness to you can overflow out of you into the world around you? Let me close with this. Russ Ramsey is a PCA pastor in Nashville. He's actually written a book called Struck, One Christian's Reflections on Encountering Death. And he wrote this book because it was during a time in his life where he thought he was going to die. He got an, uh, a bacterial infection and it affected his heart. It got really, really serious and he almost died and he ended up having to have open heart surgery. And out of that experience, he wrote this book. And let me read one portion of this book on his reflections uh, and he's reading, and he's writing on his birthday. And on his birthday, he is in a hospital bed, not knowing his future. And I'm not a fan of long quotes, y'all know that. Um, but hang with me, because I, I, what he, the way he says it, it's better than I can just communicate it to you without reading it. And so... Listen closely for kindness. He says this, It was a good birthday, I told myself. It's okay. You're going to be okay. I was trying not to be discouraged. Then there was a knock on the door, and it was an older African-American woman who poked her head in and says, I have your dinner. She walked over and laid the tray down beside my bed, and she looked at my ID bracelet and asked me for my name and date of birth. And I said, Russell Brown Ramsey, 51773. She nodded. She was walking out of the room. And then she stopped and said, Wait, today is your birthday. It is. She straightened herself up, turned to face me, and came over. And she put her right hand on my left. And it was a portrait of dignity and poise. And then with just the two of us in the room, she began to sing over me. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you, dear Mr. Ramsey. Happy birthday to you. And then she smiled. She turned and left the room. And I wept. The woman didn't know me. But she knew my stretch of trail. Meaning, she knew I was facing a very difficult situation and it, was in my, and it was my birthday. But she didn't know whether I was mean or kind or gentle or abrasive or an honest man or a liar. She just knew that I was in the hospital on my birthday and was probably feeling pretty lost. And on that basis alone, I mattered to her. And then he says this. This woman I did not know took a moment out of her day to express such a simple and yet intimate way that she was happy I was born. And you know, in that moment, I genuinely was too. 
She fed me that day with kindness. And I felt its power. And I feel it still. Do you see it? She didn't have to. But she did. And it made all the difference in this man's life. Can you imagine what our church and what our city and what our workplaces and what our homes and what our world would be like if we could just slow down enough to notice other people and be kind? You want to be kind this morning? You've got to first receive the kindness of God for you. The kindness of God is this. He didn't have to, but he did. God didn't have to send his son, but he did because he's kind. And he wants us to be kind. And so what do you say this morning? We close by asking the same question that King David asked. Who is it around us that we can show kindness to? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a kind God. Forgive us for not showing kindness the way we see in this passage. And we ask this morning through your spirit that you would change us so that you would make our homes and our churches and workplaces and schools a place of abundant kindness. Would you do these things in Jesus' name? Amen.